As we gather this morning in God's presence and read his, his word, I have a question to ask, and that is, as we have been going through um, looking at Daniel and the, the Babylonians and his response to what was going on, I want to remind us that we're living in Babylon. We are living in a situation where we are living, striving to live a, a Christian walk, a closer walk with thee in the midst of yuck around us in different capacities, in different ways. But sometimes we have this feeling that we have to belong, that we have to connect. And sometimes that desire to connect with those around us can be a struggle because what is around us is yuck. And our desire to connect can be so strong that we start connecting to the yuck rather than doing a closer walk with thee. So as we're discussing this chapter, new chapter we're looking at in Daniel, just be thinking about in your own life. Are you allowing this desire to connect? Are you letting that connect with yuck? Are you allowing it to connect with our risen Lord? So we're going to be looking in Daniel 5, and a little background as we get into this message is it's once again, this is an amazing chapter. In fact, I feel like I don't even have to preach. You just read some of, of Daniel and it just speaks for itself in volumes and how powerful it is. But here in Daniel 5, I want to give some background information that for me is fascinating. It's really interesting. You see, for millennia, as Christians have read this passage, they have listened to critiques who are saying that the book of Daniel is not legit. And the reason they were saying that was for a couple reasons. One, as you look at the historians from um, even B.C., the Greek historians and others, that there was no king by this name. Um, Belshazzar, not to be con confused with Belshazzar, who was Daniel's um, slave name that he had. But this, this king that is mentioned here at the beginning of chapter 5 was never a king of Babylon. And the scripture says that he was the king of Babylon. So Christians just said, we believe God's word, and this is what we believe. And then also critics of Daniel said that, that Daniel's prophecy of who the following kingdoms were is so accurate that it couldn't be true. I mean, it was just, it was too dead on. And so it, then, therefore, it must have been written really late and really late, um, well, many hundreds of years after the fact. And then that way, that's how Daniel was so accurate, was that the, the kingdoms that were mentioned within the gold statue, remember, in, in the head of the gold statue in, in chapter 2. So it couldn't be accurate for those two reasons. They got the name wrong, and also because of the accuracy of the kingdoms that Daniel prophesied. But then something happened in the the 19th century and the 20th century, and that was an incredible rise of archaeology. And archaeologists, as they were digging, discovered this, this urn filled with documents. And then this urn, I think it was around 1855, it named this king, Belshazzar, as the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, after Nebuchadnezzar died, the kingdom of Babylon had a quick turnover of rulers. 
as in many cases when you have a, a great authoritarian, powerful leader, um, after they die, there's a lot of a fight for control. And so there are assassinations and relatives killing relatives. And so there's a lot of turnover until eventually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, who was Nebuchadnezzar, became the king of Babylon. Well, the scroll recognized, and it said that Belshazzar was his son, who was mentioned here in Daniel. And then further archaeological evidence found out that the, the, the king of Babylon, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, was hardly ever in Babylon during his reign. And it's unclear why that was, but for most of his reign, he was outside of Babylon. And so while he was gone over 10 of his 17-year reign, his son was in power, Belshazzar. And so then, voila. And that solved two little dilemmas that the critics were having of Babylon. So we recognize this was a legitimate ruler of Babylon because he was proxying for his dad while his dad was gone. And then also that no one knew this well from the hundreds of years before Christ till now because that got lost to history until the archaeological evidence discovered it. Therefore, as Daniel had his predictions of the future kingdoms that, and empires that rise, that that means it was predated before that. So it solved two different things of looking at how accurate God's word is in, in history here in Daniel of what had happened and that the date of it was early. And so it once again legitimizes um, Daniel and his writings and his prophecy according to the archaeological evidence that we have. So to me that was really cool. Now another thing that then people were complaining about was saying that um, the, the, God's word here says that Belshazzar was the son of Nebuchadnezzar when really he was his grandson. But to point out in Aramaic, the Babylonian language that these chapters of Daniel are written in, and this is true also in Hebrews as well, that there's not a word for like grandparent and great-grandparent. So the word that is used is father. So if you talk about your father, you could be talking about your dad or your grandfather or your great-grandfather. And we see that in Scripture when it talks about sons of Abraham. That's all the descendants, not just his immediate sons. But if you're a son of Abraham, which we all are, then we are descendants following Abraham. So does that make sense? So a lot of cool things here in understanding how things are related. And also that's true for son. There's not a word for like grandson or great-grandson you know, just a son. So whether you're going above uh, as your ancestor or below, it's used the same word. And so as we read through this scripture, it'll make a lot of things make a lot of sense because of that. So as we dig in um, to God's word here, we see that King Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, was throwing a huge party. And he invited thousands of people to this party. And at this party, the thousands of his nobles and leaders were here, but also their wives and their concubines. And they are drinking and eating like it's 1999 because in their estimation, they were the most powerful kingdom that exists. 
Now, the, and this, this party is actually documented with other historians that the night of Babylon's fall, the leaders were all in a giant party. And the reason they were having this party, you could debate, are they having this party because they, they know that the, another empire, the Medes and the Persians, have joined forces together to overthrow Babylon? And were they worried about this happening and like having just one last hurrah? Or were they so arrogant that they're thinking, our city is impenetrable and they can't, we can withstand any siege that they put on us. And there's no reason to stress or worry because we have everything under control. So the historians think it's the latter, that they were just so arrogant that there were no worries. They could have all the leaders in one place. They didn't need to be managing their armies. And this is what was happening as this party was going on. The Medes and the Persians have thought about this a long time. How do we take down the city of Babylon as magnificent as it is? And so, and the Euphrates River flowed actually under the wall that they built into the city so they'd always have plenty of water. And then also they had made provisions and they could plant crops within the city enough that they boasted that they could withstand a 20-year siege. That even though if they surrounded the city and they're protected by the walls, that they could live there over 20 years, so it'd be pointless to try to attack their city. But the Medes and Persians were pretty smart. And so one of the historians relate back that how they tackled the city is that they built a giant dam. They diverted the water of the Euphrates River and sent it into a, a lowland to a swamp area. And you can't hold back the Euphrates forever, but for a short enough time, they lowered the water level so that it was like waist deep and the, the army went underneath the wall where the water was at previously. And they sent enough soldiers in that they were able to go around and take over the city gates and open the large gates to the rest of the army to come in and take over the city. So this is what's happening as this party is going on. Now at this party, as the King Belshazzar is, is hosting this giant party, the, the arrogance isn't just enough that they're doing this. He issues a command, you know, why are we drinking out of these really nice goblets when there's much nicer in storage? And he was recalling, and he had seen at some point these incredible golden goblets that were stolen actually from the temple in Jerusalem. And so he called, let's bring out the good stuff. Let's bring out the golden goblets. And so he sent people, and they actually took the goblets that were intended for worshiping God, and they brought those into the party and filled them up with wine, passed them around, and saying, drink up. And so at this point in time, their arrogance was incredible. You know, and this is probably about 30 years after Nebuchadnezzar thought he was a cow and recovered from that and reigned for a longer period of time. So this is a, a, a new generation. They have forgotten some of these things of Daniel that was previous. And they are just so arrogant that they think this is the way to go. And all the nobility, as they are there celebrating, they're in the presence of their, their proxy king, of the king who is there, completely forgetting about and ignoring what they previously knew to be true, 
that there is a God of the universe, that there is a God who exists, who is the most powerful of all, the God who created everything that you can see, the God who, through many means, using Daniel, promote, and also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that God is God. But this has been forgotten. And I want to ask ourselves, has God been involved in your life in your past, but time has gone on, and that we have stopped remembering that? Like, it's a distant memory that we don't think that much about, and we begin living our life in a way that's just what's important to me. Have we been living a life where we feel like we're, we're connecting, but what's in front of us is the, the yuck that is around us, and we're trying to connect to the yuck rather than connect to the God of the universe, the God that we have known in our past? This is what's going on here. Their connection is to the, and they, they mentioned this here at the first of, of Daniel, that they were worshiping using God's instruments of worship with these um, goblets that they're, th that they're drinking out of and other items, that they're celebrating their God of gold and silver and the other Babylonian gods that they're worshiping with these instruments that were built and designed to worship Yahweh, designed to worship the God, the God of the universe. So in the midst of their, the arrogance, in the midst of what is going on, something happens that is so spectacular that it gets their attention in an amazing way. And in the midst of the party, in the, the, the noise and the bustle of these thousand people who are partying, everything goes quiet as this amazing thing happens. His hand was writing on the wall right beside the king. Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, and diviners. This sound familiar? And he said to those wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain wrapped around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. He should have been afraid of the Medes and Persians, but even more so, fear of the Lord God. 
Because as he was been thumbing his nose at God, God is allowing the Medes and Persians to come under the wall and come after him. The scripture then says, as he's perplexed and he is so frightened, that is literally it says his hips become loose and his knees are knocking. That as he is seeing this, fear is completely engulfing him. As he makes this decree for people to come in, they come in and no one can decipher the words. And then scripture says the queen comes in and mentions there's this one named Daniel. So as you wonder about who the queen, because everyone's here in this party, but the queen here is probably his mother. And his mom is old enough to remember Daniel and the work that he has done and how he did all that he did through God for the, the benefit of the, the Babylonians and for the benefit of Nebuchadnezzar. And so she, the queen, says, there's one who can do this. And his name is Daniel. And so Daniel is summoned. And as Daniel is summoned, he tells the king what these words mean. But as he's preparing to do so, he says to him in 22, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is what the inscription says. Mene, mene. Tekiel, Parson, here is what these words mean. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. You have, weighed, you have been weighed on the scales and your side is wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's commands, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And you understand why it's third? Because Belshazzar is second. So then he's putting Daniel right underneath him at third. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So that very night, it all ended. That very night... It all came crashing down. You see, God is God. There is only one God. And we may worship other things in our life. We may be attracted to things around us. We may allow ourselves to connect to things that are temporary. We may allow ourselves to connect to unhealthy objects, people, relationships. But there's only one God. All the other things that we connect ourselves to will fail. All the things that we connect ourselves to, except for God, will disappear one day. So the challenge for all of us is to really understand that there is God. And even though we can see things around us with our eyes, 
and think those things are of ultimate importance, even though we may be involved in groups that tell us, no, this is what's ultimately important. When we're in school, it's so easy to be caught up in what um, the world is saying through school, is saying this is what's important, this is important, and work really hard on that. Our, we're involved in our jobs and our careers, and we're taught this is what's of ultimate importance. This is what's of ultimate importance. And that, that pressure may cause us to do things unethical in our, our work or in our school, in our schoolwork. It may cause us or drive us to do things that are unethical in a lot of different ways because we think if we just have this, I'll be okay. If I just have this, I will be happy. But the ultimate happiness that we can have, the ultimate joy that we can have through any circumstance is through connecting through the God of the universe. It's incredible as we look at, at Daniel. And Daniel understood this well. He had over his lifetime, and he is well into his 80s at this point, well into his 80s, that as he as a teenager was taken from his home and driven and forced into Babylon, lost, losing everything that he had, there was one thing that they could not take from him, and that was his faith. And so he leaned into that faith of God, and through his understanding of, of God's presence in his life, even though he was in the midst of, of choices that could have been inviting, as he looked at the splendor of Babylon and the power that was given to him because of his position, he always, always leaned into his relationship with God. And that's where his ultimate trust was and where his ultimate salvation was found was in his life. But what's incredible to me, though, is looking at as he was in the situation of always making the godly choice, of always saying things that are hard in hard situations, he did so in a way, and I'm just amazed at this, that even the ones that he was in opposition to respected him so much that there was this very high regard for him, if not even friendship or love that was expressed from those who were in this opposition governmental leadership that was going very often against God. And as I look at Daniel's model on how he did that, I am like, that's amazing. That the way that he lived his life of integrity and always being very clear about who his God was, that as he did so, he was forced with different oppositions, but the people of the government, the king, respected him. And so as we live our lives, can we do so in such a way that even though we are living a life of integrity for God, that we do so in such a way that it has actually the respect of the world around us? Apparently, sometimes one can. And I think it's not difficult, but I think Daniel, in the length of time that he was always on his knees praying and connecting, he understood that. I understand, um, I've seen glimpses of people within our church family um, trying to do that. And I've, I've seen that work, and I saw it work okay. And one of the ways that I've seen it, some of our church family have been, for those in different types of, of local government around us, that they write them thank you notes 
for trying to do a tough thing in tough times, and thank you for your service to your community. And I asked them, why are you doing that? And they responded and said, it's because I want to them to know who I am, and even though there's no big issues going on right now, I want them to know my name and to know that I care for them, I respect them, and I want to help them to do their job, and I want to thank them for doing a tough job. And so then I know those people in our, our local politics then respected the Christians who were doing that and reaching out and saying, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you because you're in a position and that God has you in this position, and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. So there are things that we can do where we maintain our integrity, that maintain our connection to a holy God, and for those who are outside of the kingdom, that we can be living a wife that they respect us for that. Now, that doesn't always happen, but sometimes it, it can happen as God is working within that relationship. And I think it's something that we can aspire to as we live in Babylon. That as we live in Babylon ourselves, and as we recognize that we are a member of the kingdom of God, as we're also a member of the kingdom of our present age and our society here, that we can do so in a way that at least points always to Jesus, that points to Jesus as the author of our hope and our faith. You see, as, as Daniel was presenting this and as we get into chapters farther along in Daniel, we'll see clearly that the ultimate prophecy that Daniel points to is the son of man who was coming. And yes, everyone is a son of Adam. Everyone is a son of man. But as we look to this, there's a very special son of man who is the Messiah. And this is the ultimate fulfillment of all of Daniel's predictions and prophecy that he is presenting. And as we have availability of Jesus Christ in our lives... We have this incredible opportunity that as we are faced with whatever opposition the world presents to us, that we can face that with love, that we can face that with the faith of Christ. We can face that opposition in such a way that points to the redeeming hope and faith that is in Jesus Christ. As we are living our lives this morning... I want to ask you a question is can you read the writing on the wall in your life you see God has written on the wall for you now it may not be just this hand that's writing on the wall but definitely God has been involved in your life in your past in a way that provides clarity for you for your future. And I want to ask you, are you paying attention to the writing on the wall for you? Are you paying attention to what God has shown you about his existence? Have you paid attention to where God has been speaking to your heart? Whether calling you to come into the kingdom of God for the very first time, or calling you to go and do this, or to stop 
doing that. That's wrong. That's sin. But for all of us, we experience writing on the wall. Writing on the wall that communicates to us that there is an amazing God who created the universe, who loves each and every one of us. The writing on the wall is reminding us of our calling to fully participate in the kingdom. So what writing on the wall have you seen in your life? Let it be a reminder to you of who God is and what your next step is in your life. You see, if we ignore that, if we ignore the writing on the wall that God gives us, then we crash and burn in different ways. Sometimes it's consequences that we face here on earth. It may be consequences that we face after we're passed from this life to the next. But I ask you this morning, in all sincerity, are you responding the way that God wants you to respond in your next step? It may be harboring ill will towards someone. It may be you not grasping onto the hope that God gives you to overcome whatever is in front of you that you have to face. It may be that sin that you've been hiding from those around you. Listen and read the writing on the wall and ask the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Lord, what's my next step? What is it I need to do to be fully in the kingdom of God and experiencing your love? God, give me the courage for that. That's our prayer this morning. I'm going to do a, a, a full closing prayer. Afterwards, Linda will begin playing for us and we'll sing a hymn. Through all this time, just listen to the Spirit speaking in your life and have the courage to do what the Spirit is calling you to do for your next step. Heavenly Father, as we live in Babylon, we thank you that we're not alone, that your presence is right here with us, that whatever obstacle that we have to face, you're here. God, may we trust in you and not trust in the things around us, not to trust in the horses and the chariots around us, but to trust solely in you. May we learn to lean into your word, into your life, into your spirit, as we find strength and courage and hope for the future. So God, thank you for that. And God, as we examine our own lives, thank you for reminding us of the work that you have done, the speaking that you have done to our hearts as you call us tenderly and softly into you. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.